We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hour number two right here on WGR Sports Radio 550. It's Sports Talk Saturday. Louis DiBiase in for Nate Geary. Corey Griswold joining me as well for another couple hours. 803-0550 is the number to call. Let's get your calls in later on on the show. Questions on Twitter at WGR 550 at LOE. Let's take a look now inside the AFC East. We're going to talk about the New England Patriots. What are they doing? They went all in, it seemed like, this offseason on 2021, bringing back Cam Newton, signing Nelson Aguilar, signing Kedrick Bourne, uh, Jonu Smith at tight end, Hunter Henry. Did Bill Belichick, seeing Tom Brady win a Super Bowl, did it change his mindset and his philosophy? Joining me now on WGR, it's Locked On Patriots host Mike Debate. Mike, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining the show. Louie, thanks so much for having me on. Always an honor to join you here on the microphone. So, Mike, the Patriots are in an interesting spot where they, again, they kind of went against their... I don't know if you agree, their typical offseason philosophy. They paid all these top, I would say, Tier 2, Tier 3 free agents. They paid them pretty good money to kind of win now with Cam Newton bringing Cam back for Year 2. How much? I want to ask you, how much of it was impacted by Tom Brady winning it all last year, if at all, that impacted it? Yeah, I mean, I think it actually had a little something to do with it. I'm not going to completely dismiss it. Look, there is definitely ego when it comes to the top coaches in the league, the top players in the league, and any time there is an amicable split, and by all accounts it was an amicable split in New England, there's still going to be some residual feelings. And Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are very aware of their personalities. They're very aware of their personas in the public. And there's definitely a little bit of that to uh, to go around. Now, was that Bill Belichick's primary motivating Mm -hmm. factor? I can pretty safely say no. Bill Belichick is motivated mostly by one thing and one thing only, and that's winning. And that's exactly what Tom Brady is motivated by as well. So I think Bill looked at the 7-9 record last year, the subpar uh, finish, missing the playoffs, uh, a lot of the chatter that's going on around, which I know Bill says he ignores, but you've got to hear it. There's no question about mm-hmm. it. I think he looked at this and said, this is a great opportunity for us to be able to pounce in free agency. The Patriots haven't had this type of cap windfall in quite some time. 
they put it to good use, and they put it to use in a lot of different areas to help shore up a lot of holes that they had on various depth charts within their roster. Yeah, Mike, maybe I'm looking too deep into this, just trying to think of angles for this strategy, because it is kind of a change-up in what the Patriots normally do. Not not to say they never sign big-name free agents, right? Not to say they never spend money. They have before. Darrell Rivas, Stephon Gilmore, they brought in Randy Moss. So they've made moves before, but typically Belichick is more controlled uh, than I thought he was this offseason. And not saying that's a bad thing normally, but again, I'm trying to think deeper and look at why he did it this year. Maybe it's because Brady won the Super Bowl. Is it? Here's another... Th- Here's another angle. Do you think Belichick is going all in now because he's not sure how much he's gonna how much longer he's gonna do this? Like if he thought he was gonna be coaching another five, ten seasons, he might go all in on a rookie quarterback. Is is that something that impacts this? Or again, am I looking uh, a bit too uh, too far into it? No, I think that it's a reasonable uh, assumption to think that maybe Belichick is looking at the twilight of his coaching career. He's soon to be 70, so you look at that on the north side of that type of an age, it's difficult to gain the type of physical uh, you know, rigors and also the mental rigors it takes to not only be a top-flight coach in the NFL, but also a GM, the person that's making all of the personnel decisions as well. So in a lot of ways, yeah, I think Belichick is looking at it and saying, look, if I'm going to only coach two, three more years, four more years, however long he believes he has left in him, he's going to try to maximize the win total as much as he can and gain as much success as he possibly can. Bill Belichick is not in the coaching game right now for five and 11 seasons or five and now five and 12 seasons I mm-hmm. guess, yeah. with the 17 game season. But, uh, all in all, uh, I think that's how he approached this offseason, is trying to win, trying to maximize uh, the amount of success his team can have. And again, Louie, you hit on this. This is an opportunity for Belichick to spend money that he hasn't had in mm-hmm. quite some time. When he has cap space available, he'll put it to good use. Sure. It's not like Bill always wants to you know, sharp at you know, bargain basement in terms of being able to get free agents. He's done very well with doing that because his scouting and his ability to scout pro talent is really at the top of the heap when it comes to that. So in a lot of ways, uh, this is uncharacteristic for the Patriots. You're absolutely right. But I think there's a lot of factors. But the stuff that you've said uh, definitely factors in. I wouldn't dismiss it. Uh, All of these factors do uh, come together to uh, to help us get an inkling as to what Bill Belichick is thinking. Mike Debate joining us of the Locked On Patriots podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at mdebatefpc. Mike, I actually, again, I think the money was maybe a little bit too much on some of these guys, but I actually do think they're going to be vastly improved, even with, again, maybe it being too much money. The fact that You look at last year, they won seven games in that situation is kind of impressive considering the roster, considering how many players opted out, considering Cam Newton's, you know, up and down season, getting injured and all that stuff. So you look at they won seven games last year. Maybe you can kind of look at that in a glass half full kind of way. You bring in two really solid, productive tight ends, a couple good, fast receivers and Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. You get some players back this year on defense. Maybe this year, I think the Patriots, again, I said long-term, the Jets might be the biggest threat to the Bills just based on they have maybe the best long-term quarterback in Zach Wilson. But this year, I wouldn't be surprised if it's the Patriots pushing the Bills out of anybody. Yeah, I mean, I think the Patriots have a chance to be competitive in this division without question. Last year was a little bit of an anomaly for the Pats. And look, a lot of the chatter when Cam Newton first came to town in New England was, up oh, New England's back in. They're going to be neck and neck with the Bills for the division. Mm-hmm. I took a long-term approach when I looked at that, and I said, I still think this is the Bills' division to uh, to lose, and I, I believe they would win it. I still believe that. I still think that it's their division to lose. They're still by far, I think, the best team on both sides of the ball. But New England has made several improvements 
improvements. They needed wide receivers. They went out and got two receivers that fit their scheme very well. Maybe a little bit of an overpay, especially on Aguilar. A lot of people are worried about the two-year, $22 million committed to him. But these are versatile players that can play outside. They can play in the Mm -hmm. slot. Bill Belichick loves that, and it's very versatile for them to be able to have that type of attack, especially when you go out and you invest the type of money they invested in two tight ends that were at the top of the free agent market. Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry, that's going to change the way this team plays offense so much because now they can run that 12-man personnel that they used to run so well with Rob Gronkowski and whether it be Aaron Hernandez on the other side yep. of it or Martellus Bennett, they were able to do that. You get a solid slot receiver and a strong running game behind you, not to mention an improved uh, offensive line, and all of a sudden you've got an offense that can really be able to cook. The question is, is Cam Newton going to be able to rebound from a subpar 2020 and be able to lead this team? He likes to utilize the tight ends. He likes to utilize versatile receivers. If Cam can be healthier this year and if he can be more accurate, uh, the Patriots are going to be a tough team to beat. They'll give uh, any team in this division a run for their money. Again, I still think it's the Bills' di- uh, you know, division, but don't sleep on the Patriots this year. They've made some good improvements. They'll be right in the mix. Yeah, it makes sense what they're trying to do here with Cam Newton, Mike. You know, bringing in, you look at his MVP season in 2015. Didn't have the best weapons, but what did he have? He had a top-tier tight end in Greg Olson. He had a field stretcher in Ted Ginn Jr. So you kind of do that with Smith and Henry at tight end, bringing in some fast guys like Bourne and Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar since 2016, is tied for second with the most, I think, uh, 50-plus yard receptions, along with Deshaun Jackson, Tyree Kill, some of the best home run hitters in the game. So I think it makes sense what they're doing. And again, it's a huge question what you have in Cam uh, this year. But at the same time, Mike, I don't know if you agree. I think he should... I think he deserves more credit for what he did last year. The circumstances were pretty brutal for Cam. He didn't play in 2019 at all outside of those first two games, right? He had no offseason with COVID. He's adjusting to a completely different culture in a pretty complex scheme. Then he gets COVID himself. He doesn't really have any weapons, and he still goes 7-8 and eight as a starter. I don't think Cam's ever going to be what he was in 2015 or even before he got hurt in 2018, but if you told me he bounced back in a pretty sizable way this year, I mean, I wouldn't bat an eye. No, I wouldn't bat an eye either, and I've been much more um, apologetic or much more uh, in praise of Cam than I've been critical of him. Have there been things that I would love to see him improve on for 2020? Absolutely, there's no question about it. Cam would be the first one to tell you that, but at the same time, I do look at the body of work in the season that he had to endure in 2020, coming into camp late, uh, not having the benefit of OTAs, mini camps, uh, preseason games, uh, you know, a lot of preseason in-person practice. These are things that when you're taking over a team, when you're coming into a new system, a new coaching staff, taking over for a living legend in New England and Tom Brady, mm-hmm. regardless of what the rest of the country thinks of him, Tom <laughs> Brady is, rev- you know, he's absolutely revered as one of the, uh, the, you know, the deities when it comes to Boston sports. That's not an easy task, and none of that is easy. Cam Newton came in and really, I think, won over uh, the fans, the press corps, with his work ethic, uh, his uh, affability, his accountability was really something that everyone admired. It was mostly people questioning his ability on the field. I think a lot of the problems that Cam had last year were as a result of some of the circumstances around him. The Patriots have shored up that uh, offensive uh, uh, weapons staff that uh, he did not have in 2020. So in 2021, I look for some improvements. And the deal that he signed with only $3.5 million guaranteed tells me that Cam is betting on himself to have a much better year as well. He knows he's under the microscope, and this is a guy that is 
you know, very much um, capable and very much willing uh, to rise to the occasion. And I think he's got it in him this year to do just that. Yeah, I didn't even really think about that other factor, Mike, the pressure. I mean, again, everything I mentioned, the circumstances were tough. And, yeah, I mean, he's filling in for the greatest quarterback of all time that won six championships and, you know, two decades with that organization so that's a huge part of it too I think considering what he had to deal with last year seven and eight isn't really that bad but at the same time you look at their draft situation right now they're picking what 15th overall Um, there's Mm -hmm. five quarterbacks that are likely to go in the top 10 Trevor Lawrence at one Zach Wilson at two but then who knows the Niners are going to take somebody Mac Jones Justin Fields or Trey Lance but then after that it's a you know the draft really starts I think at four with that Atlanta Falcons pick and there's some talk like a team the Denver Broncos could move from nine to four to get a quarterback. I know the Patriots are kind of going in on short term right now with all these moves, but do you still think, Mike, a trade up for a quarterback could be possible? Like you said, Cam's contract is one year. There's only three and a half million dollars guaranteed. Are they a team that could maybe come from the top ropes and jump into that top five, top ten, and try to land, even if it's like a mini trade up for Mac Jones, let's say? Is quarterback still on the board here in the first round despite their free agency strategy? Yeah, I think it's very much on the board, Louie, and to be totally honest with you, I think they may have the number four pick in their crosshairs. Now, are they going to be able to do it? That's a tough thing to be able to uh, to prognosticate. And, you know, I know a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, well, just, you know, package as many picks as you can, trade up to get it. The Patriots are going to have to be awfully sure that the quarterback that they get at number four can be the guy that can lead them long term, whether it be Mac Jones, who doesn't, if he doesn't get taken by the uh, 49ers and they go with a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance, whether or not it is Trey Lance, whether or not Justin Fields slips to, uh, to number four. There are mm-hmm. a lot of possibilities, and we've heard that the, that the Falcons might be willing to explore a trade down. I've been encouraging everyone on my podcast, stop giving Falcons fans a hard time about 28-3. to <laughs> Maybe that'll smooth the, the, uh, the, uh, the lines of communication yeah. <laughs> over a little bit. But no, all kidding aside, uh, that could be a realistic trading partner, but Jumping from 15 to number four is really going to be all about one thing, and that's cost, especially with Carolina now seemingly out of the running for a quarterback. You mentioned the Niners. They spent three first-round picks to jump up nine spots. The Patriots are going to have to climb up 11 spots to do it, meaning that they're going to have to give up a similar haul based on what San Francisco gave up. That's a lot of capital to be able to expect the Patriots to give up. Now, they right now have 79 players on their roster, which means 11 open spots. Bill Belichick loves his undrafted free agents. The Patriots currently have nine draft picks in 2021. Do they make all those picks? I don't think so. I think Bill Belichick wants a little flexibility in his roster to be able to sign some players. So that will mean that some of these uh, picks may get packaged or you know deferred to another year. If the Patriots are sure that their guy can be there at number four, then I think this might be the year that Bill Belichick throws it all in, puts his chips on the table, and makes that type of, uh, of deal. But if not, it wouldn't shock me to see them even maybe trade back and try to maximize their draft capital in subsequent years. Something that would send uh, shivers up and down the spine of mm-hmm. every Patriots fan because Bill has a reputation of trading down to get value. The fans won't like it, yep. but ultimately it's something that I think Bill Belichick has on the table. So I think you can expect anything and everything from Foxborough this year in 2021. This yeah. is an interesting one to break down. Yeah, for sure, Mike. That's definitely the – and that's kind of the the struggle that teams have when they're kind of middling, when they're in that – 
you know, seven and nine kind of uh, situation. If you want that quarterback that's in the top 10, that's in the top five, you're going to have to give up like what the Niners did. Do you personally, so you kind of talked about the Patriots have to ask themselves, is Trey Lance worth that? Is Justin Fields or Mac Jones worth that? Do you personally believe that one of those guys, I think more so Fields and Lance, are they worth that trade up? Because you will have to give up multiple first round picks likely to get to four. Yeah, I mean, I think the argument can be made for both quarterbacks. I'm a fan of both quarterbacks. Uh, I really have been impressed with the way Fields has handled his pro day workouts. He's got another one coming up. I really love the way that he's able to roll out of the pocket. I think he gets uh, far too uh, little credit uh, for his arm strength and his ability to gun the ball down the field, his ability to extend plays with his legs. If you're talking about a quarterback that could really absorb and learn a lot from a guy like Cam Newton, Justin Fields is definitely that quarterback. But you flip it over and you look at it from a perspective of saying, okay, how about Trey Lance? I think Trey Lance can do it as well. These are strong, cerebral quarterbacks that have the ability to not only win you games with their arm, but extend you know plays with their mm-hmm. legs and be that mobile quarterback threat that is really, I think, the norm in the league right now. So if the Patriots look at these two guys and they're available – I say it's worth it. Uh, Some may tell you that they think quarterbacks are being overvalued in this draft, but uh, there's a lot to like about both Justin Fields and Trey Lance. I would probably do it if I were both of them. If Mack is there in the top ten and the Patriots tried to get into that area, uh, I think so. I think uh, trading up for number four to get Mac Jones might be a little bit too expensive Mm -hmm. for Bill Belichick's taste. Um, but we'll see. You know, I mean, if Belichick's got a grade on someone and he's got a beat on someone, he's not going to worry about what people like me or anybody in the Patriots media is going to say about him afterwards. If he gets the guy he wants, Bill Belichick is going to do it. He dances to the beat of his own drum every single time. Yeah, I think this is a great class when it comes to what the league is going towards at quarterback when it comes to that dual threat. You look at the mobility of Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. And the Patriots, they kind of had the opposite of that with Tom Brady over the last couple decades. And then they moved to Cam Newton, Mike, last year. A mobile court, the complete opposite, right? And that's really all he did last year was score rushing touchdowns as opposed to passing touchdowns. So do you think that that's the new direction? That's where the league is going? Is that where the Patriots want to go? Or let's say, hypothetically, maybe they don't have to move up at all. Let's say the Niners don't take Mac Jones at three. If they don't take him at three, I think he falls outside the top ten. If he's sitting there at 15, would they be okay with Mac Jones? Or do you think the Patriots uh, philosophically are trying to go in a different route when it comes to what kind of quarterback they want? I think they believe that they're going to succeed with whatever quarterback fits their system best. Now, if they're going to continue to maintain that type of offense that Cam Newton is going to run, then yeah, Fields and Lance are going to be your guys. But a lot of people sleep on Mac Jones' ability to be an athletic quarterback. He's not the most athletic quarterback in this draft by far, but he's shown the ability to be able to maneuver outside the pocket when he needs to. He's got tremendous cerebral ability to manage a game. Uh, One thing that I've heard guys Guys like Charlie Weiss, Dante Scarnecchia, Michael Lombardi talk about Mac Jones and his football IQ and his ability to put the football in an area where only his receiver can get it. Um, very Brady-esque in terms of how people describe that. Now, I'm not comparing the two by any stretch because they are two completely different quarterbacks. But Mac does have a very high football IQ. And something that Josh McDaniels loves to utilize is that ability to be able to dial up plays or make uh, you know certain circumstances work when it seems like there's nothing available. Uh, this is something we've seen Mac Jones do. And for all the people that are saying, oh, well, Mac had a great uh, supporting cast around him in Alabama – 
he's got a pretty good supporting cast around him in New England mm-hmm. right now, too, especially if they keep these pieces in place and maybe add a piece or two over the course of the next couple of years. This could be an environment in which he thrives. And we all know the connection between Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. So that could be interesting if Mac does not go to the 49ers at uh, the third pick in the NFL draft this year then a lot of you know rumors are going to start to churn that night that the New England Patriots may be in on Matt Jones. It wouldn't surprise me if they went in that direction. Last thing for you, Mike, you kind of mentioned those pieces, right? They bring in Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Julian Edelman, maybe healthy in 2021. You've got Nikhil Harry, a former first-round pick. Jacoby Myers was your most reliable receiver last year. You've got Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith. Fantasy-style question for you, because I'm already kind of getting in that mode with the draft coming up. What is the receiver and running back groups going to look like from a starting perspective? And then you look at tight end, too. Like, who are the guys to own in fantasy for the Patriots this year? Is it just going to be a complete committee at all three spots? Is Are the Patriots a team I should just not go after when it comes to non-quarterbacks? Or are there some clear favorites to take over in carries and targets? Yeah, I think there's going to be a little bit of a different feel for the New England Patriots this year. Look, I think there's a lot of different opportunities and a lot of different people that they can utilize. I do think the tight ends will be prolific and be productive in this system. I would probably go, if you're looking pure fantasy, I'd probably yeah. go Janu over Hunter Henry in this uh, okay. situation because I think Janu is going to be a big-time red zone threat. His ability to be that move tight end is going to allow him to get out get targets in the end zone, and that's something the Patriots have not had in quite some time. Hunter Henry will give you fantasy points because he's a tremendous route runner, one of the best route runners at the tight end position I've had a chance to see. And I've covered Henry since he was a rookie when I covered the Chargers and watching him come out and be the type of player that he can be. Uh, watching him now in a Patriots uniform is something that I've always wanted to do, so I'm really happy I'm going to get a chance to see him. Uh, I think Aguilar can get you some points as well. I think he's going to be a good outside threat, but we've talked about this on uh, Locked On podcasts yep. as well, Louis. He has the ability to move into the slot. He did that very well in Philadelphia, and I think both he and Kendrick Bourne are going to get you points. James White back in the lineup now is big because I think they're going to utilize that third down back pass-catching back that they didn't utilize that much last year because they didn't have enough personnel to take the pressure off of James. He was doubled on third down a lot last year, and it really hampered his ability to get open and make plays in the open field. They're going to have a lot of options, opposing defenses, that is, when it comes to covering guys on the Patriots now. Look for James White to have a much bigger year this year than he did in 2020. Mike Debate of the Locked On Patriots podcast joining us right here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. You can follow him on Twitter at mdebate FPC and be sure to subscribe to the Lockdown Patriots podcast wherever you get your podcast. Mike, thanks as always for coming on. Always great in-depth stuff and uh, we appreciate you joining us and hopefully we'll do it again soon, my friend. Absolutely. I look forward to it, Louie. Thanks for having me on today. Stay safe and stay well, everyone. Have a great weekend. Mike Debate of Lockdown Patriots joining us on Locked, or I should say he's of Lockdown Patriots and this is Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. Yeah, I think the Patriots again, long term, it's risky what they're doing because I hate being in that purgatory of seven, eight wins, and then you're just not good enough to get one of the quarterbacks, but you're also you're bad enough to get one of the quarterbacks, and you're also not good enough to win a Super Bowl, and that's kind of where they're at right now. But there is another avenue. You can trade a lot of picks and go get that number four spot. I think Atlanta would be willing to listen to move out there, and then you know Justin Fields, uh, Trey Lance, they sit behind Cam Newton for a season, and then boom. There's your franchise quarterback. But if they don't go that route and they just run it back with Cam Newton and that's their quarterback this year, I think they're probably the second-best team in the AFC East. 
this season. I like what they did around the roster, but I think long-term, again, there's just question marks there that you have no idea where that quarterback is coming from, whereas the New York Jets, they don't have the pieces around Zach Wilson that the Patriots have around Cam Newton, but at least they'll have Zach Wilson. And so if he becomes a star, you know long-term, the Jets are probably the better bet to be in contention against the Buffalo Bills. But the Bills are still on top of the AFC East, and that's going to be for a long time. So that's a hell of a feeling. But thanks again to Mike for joining us on Sports Talk Saturday. We're going to hit another break. We'll be right back. This is Sports Talk Saturday, taking your calls at 803-0550 or on Twitter at WGR550 at DBLCLOE. All right, Louis DiBiase back here. This is Sports Talk Saturday on WGR Sports Radio 550 alongside Corey Griswold. Thanks again to Mike Debate of Lockdown Patriots for joining us. You can hear that audio on demand at odyssey.com. Make sure to get your calls in, 803-0550 on Twitter at WGR 550 at DiBiase L-O-E. So we kind of looked at what the Patriots could do. We talked a lot about the AFC East, the AFC in general, like who are going to be the Bills' biggest threats to getting back to the AFC Conference Championship. Obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs are the top dog there that are going to be the favorites to get back, but who else? I think the Indianapolis Colts are the favorite to be that third team. I think Carson Wentz is going to bounce back in a big way for Indy this year, but that's just in 2021. Long term, I'm looking at the Chargers maybe, the Jaguars, just based on I think they have the best young quarterbacks in the conference with Justin Herbert, or at least you know a one a rookie or second-year guy, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence. Maybe it's the Jets with Zach Wilson, but you know again, you look at the Patriots, they're kind of where the Bills were for a long time. You know, you look at throughout the 2000s, the Bills kept winning. They were always terrible, right? They missed the playoffs 17 straight seasons. But at the same time, were they ever, they picked in the top five in those drafts in that drought, what, once, twice? The Marcel Darius year, I can't even think of another one. Was it only one time? I'm probably missing another one. But that's the thing is like, they were always middling in that they were just mediocre, right? They kept winning seven games. And so they would get just good enough to try to end the drought. The drought, honestly, was it hurt their ability to become great because they tried to end. They were so infatuated with ending it that they just kind of got to this floor that had no room for improvement. There was no ceiling there. And that's kind of where New England is right now. And I just wonder, is Bill Belichick doing that because Tom Brady won a Super Bowl? Mike doesn't think that was the case. I mean, he thinks it could be a little part of the motivation. Also, Belichick might not be coaching much longer. But at the same time, you know, he does have cap space this year. And Cam Newton showed some things last year going 7-8 and eight with some pretty tough circumstances. But I just I hate being in that spot where I, I feel helpless. I'm not going to win a championship unless things just go really right and Cam Newton bounces back to the MVP Cam, which I just I think that's beyond him. I think he can bounce back from last year, but I don't think it's to that level anymore. So you're not good enough to win a championship, but also you're not bad enough to pick in the top five and go get one of these quarterbacks. You can still get one, but if you're New England, to do that, you're going to have to give up. You know, Look at what the Niners gave up just to go from 12 to 3. It's going to be multiple first-round picks to get that quarterback. So I'm glad that the Bills... Finally just decided in 2017 after making the playoffs, we're done with that strategy. We're done with what the Patriots just did. We're done with what we've been doing for going on two decades. We're going to take the quarterback. They could have ran it back. They could have justified running back Tyrod Taylor and that team that ended the drought. But Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, they said, no, we got to go for more. And look where they are. They've got, they found more. They found that more. They are a top team in the AFC. They're a top team in the NFL that is a Super Bowl contender in 2021. How do they take 
that next step? How do they maybe jump the Kansas City Chiefs? That does really start. I mean, it started with free agency, right? You improve the receiver core, uh, bringing in Emmanuel Sanders after you part ways with John Brown. I think you kind of, that's a wash maybe. I don't know if Emmanuel Sanders is an upgrade over John Brown, but it's kind of this, it's pretty much the same style of player and you'll probably expect equal production there. So you replace that production pretty well off. You have Stefan Diggs, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis. There's not a lot of holes in this team. That's kind of the fun spot to be in right now. Each mock draft I'm seeing with the Bills, it's a different position every time. And that's a fun spot to be in when you can kind of do whatever you want because you're not forced to fill needs. You don't feel pressure to fill in certain holes. That's where sometimes you can make uh, mistakes in the draft. And so the optionality that Brandon Bean has allowed this Bills team to have in the draft because of how well off they're built on offense and defense really does help this team potentially get closer to Kansas City because they could do a lot of things in this draft. They could go long-term need with wide receiver, right? Cole Beasley's in his 30s. Emmanuel Sanders is in his 30s. He's on a one-year contract. Gabriel Davis showed a lot of promise in his rookie year in 2020, but do you know that he can be a top two receiver or an 11 personnel? Do you know he can be a top three starting receiver for the rest of his career? I'm not sure of that. So if Kadarius Tony of Florida Falls or a Terrace Marshall Jr. of LSU or uh, my brother Joe DiBiase, Sneaky Joe, loves Rondale Moore of Purdue. He's kind of leading the Rondale hive. And uh, Elijah Moore as well. There's some really good receivers that could be available at the end of day one around where the Bills are picking at 30. So could you justify that? move even though that receiver probably wouldn't play a lot in 2021 yeah absolutely because there's not a lot of immediate holes the bills need to fit but at the same time they could go with an immediate weapon like a running back and this is an interesting conversation we'll get into about running back because people go back and forth with is it a good use of an asset is it worth taking a running back in the first round even when you're the bills and it's kind of the one piece you really don't have is that versatile weapon in the backfield is it worth it and we'll get into that but that's another thing that's on the table you could go with an immediate weapon like the chiefs did last year in the first round taking Clyde Edwards Hilaire going with a Travis Etienne if he's there from Clemson or a Najee Harris or one of the UNC running backs like Javante Williams that's on the board as well. That's the one player on offense that could actually contribute right away for you that you really don't have on the unit. So you could go with long-term need at receiver. You could go with an immediate weapon at running back, or you could find that middle ground that it, it fills a long-term need, but also it's a player that can probably help you right away in a certain role. And that is on defense. It's cornerback and it's edge rusher. Edge rusher, I think they definitely need one long-term with the ages of Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes. And also A.J. Epineza, I just I think that's a flop of a second-round pick. I don't, I mean, I'm not going to say I know for certain that he's not going to be anything with the Bills, but I didn't really love him coming out of Iowa anyway. I thought that was a really low-ceiling player, and you guys know me. I'm an upside guy to a fault, so I'm not sure if you can rely on Epineza to be a core piece moving forward. So I think edge rusher is a big long-term need. And short-term, because again, you look at the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl, how they got to Mahomes, the Bills weren't really able to maximize that weakness as much as Tampa Bay was. And so that could be the thing that closes the gap with Kansas City. We asked this question on Monday on Two Bros Live, like, is a running back enough to, is that going to make an impact between you and the Chiefs? Like, are you almost as good as the Chiefs if you get a running back? I think there's a good chance you could be depending on how good that running back is. But I think the thing that closes the gap quicker and is a long-term need is edge rusher. I think that could be a difference 
against Kansas City. And you look at some of the names that could be available, right? Uh, Jason Owe from Penn State ran a 4-3 or supposedly ran a 4-3-6 or something like that. Or uh, don't quote me, he was in the 4-3s, 4-4s at the Penn State Pro Day. I'm almost sure, almost positive he was like a 4-3-8, right? So you have somebody like that, a high upside pass rusher. you got like a Greg Rousseau whose stock is kind of falling. That could be a good value pick at 30 out of Miami. There are some edge rushers that could be available there. Um, also, you look at Joe uh, Tyron or Tryon of Washington. So does Jalen Phillips fall? There is some interesting names at edge rusher. Or you look at cornerback. Cornerback is kind of that middle ground as well. It's a long-term need, maybe at CB2, obviously opposite Tredavious White. You're going to be okay at, with your top corner, but you look at that's also a position that could start right away. If you take Asante Samuel Jr. at 30 or Greg Newsom. Or, again, when we talk about optionality with the Bills, they don't have a lot of holes. So let's say Caleb Farley, the cornerback of Virginia Tech Falls. That would be a top 10 prospect if he didn't have this back injury that we heard about a month ago. So that it's kind of like Sidney Jones coming out of Washington in 2017. A cornerback that would have been a top 10 pick falls to the second round because of a torn Achilles at his pro day. Farley could be good value there. You take him at 30. You don't play him right away because of this injury. You let Levi Wallace be your outside starter. But then, boom, you have a top 10 talent potentially at cornerback opposite your top three cornerback in Tredavious White already in the NFL. So there's a lot of optionality here. I could, you know, I don't really prefer one strategy or the other. If you take a corner like Newsom or Farley or Asante, I'm cool with that. If you take an edge rusher like Greg Rizzo or Jason Oway, I think that's a good idea. A running back, I'm in on. Some people are closed, their their door is closed on the idea of running back. I'm more open to it than my my brother is that we talked about on air. We kind of went back and forth about it on Two Bros Live. Even receiver, long term, it does make sense. So it just really comes down to a lot of things. It depends on how the board falls, like what players at these positions are available. It depends on what you're prioritizing. Are you trying to maximize this win now, Super Bowl window? Or are you trying are you trying to kind of have the best of both worlds, you know, a guy that can help you right away, but also is a long-term piece, or are you just going with a long-term piece like wide receiver and kind of punt on this pick when it comes to helping out this season? It'll be fascinating to see what Brandon Bean does. And again, there's a lot of things that factor into his decision. Again, people that fall, could you even trade up? You could trade down. I love how Bean has built this team to do whatever they want this year. Because again, when you feel the need to force things in the draft, that's when you end up making mistakes. That's when you end up taking EJ Manuel. That is when, I'm trying to think of another one, Aaron Maben, maybe. I mean, CJ Spiller wasn't forcing a need. That was just Buddy Nix being absolutely out of his mind. <laughs> I mean, they had Marshawn Lynch. They had Fred Jackson. That pick never made any sense. But again, sometimes when you feel the need to force something, force a need, right, immediately or long-term, it's when you can kind of run into issues. And the Bills are set up where right now they can really take any strategy they want in the draft. 803-0550 is the number to call. um, Twitter is at WGR550, at DiBiaseLOE. Here's my stance on running back before we take a break. Because like I said, you could go long-term receiver, in the middle, long-term and short-term, edge rusher, cornerback. Or if you're really, if you do what the Chiefs did last year and you're trying to run it back, You want to win a Super Bowl this year, and you're trying to think of what position can I get right away that's going to make a significant uh, difference, especially on offense, because you're going to have to go toe-to-toe with the Chiefs scoring points. So what spot can we find a playmaker that's actually going to be able to play for you next year? Because receiver, 
yeah, I mean, if you get like a Kadarius Tony or a Rondale Moore, a Rondale Moore, you could use at running back sometimes, and you run a lot of four receiver sets at times. But again, is a receiver going to play a lot next year when you have Stephon Diggs? He's not going to be a top three guy because you have Diggs, you have Beasley, you have Emmanuel Sanders. So in 11 personnel, that's what you're going with. And then Gabriel Davis showed a ton last year as a deep threat and as just an all-around playmaker. So that's your fourth receiver. A rookie's not going to jump him. So he's fifth on the depth chart. He could be a returner. Like, you could use Rondale Moore or Kadarius Toney as a return man. But outside of that, you know, they used Isaiah McKenzie a little bit last year in the reverse game, and you can you can sprinkle in some packages for him. But is that enough for you? Or do you want a real impact playmaker right away? And that would be a running back, because that's the only hole on offense that you don't really have a difference maker with. You have a couple guys that can do okay, can hit a hole, and if you need five yards, he'll get you five yards, but if you need ten yards, he's going to get you five yards, right? That's Devin Singletary, that's Zach Moss. If you, I love that saying. Uh, I, used to, I used to use that for Rashard Mendenhall when I had him in fantasy football. I'm like, that's Mendenhall, man. If you need three yards, he'll get you three yards on third and three. If it's third and five and you need uh, five yards, he's going to get you three yards. That's just what he is. And so that's kind of what the Bills have at running back right now with Singletary and Moss. If you want a real difference maker that could close the gap with the Chiefs and it's not edge, running back could be it. And again, normally a first-round pick at running back isn't the best use of an asset. However, when you're in a Super Bowl window like the Bills are, you can justify it because running back is the one spot that you don't have an explosive weapon at that can get touches. I'm not trying to say, see, I don't want a running back if the Bills feel the need to force the ball into his hands through the ground. Like if the Bills drafting Travis Etienne or Najee Harris makes them think, oh damn, we got to run more now. We've got to make this pick worth it. We're trying to be more balanced. Then I'm saying, don't take him. I don't want the Bills to change their offensive philosophy from last year. I loved that they passed the ball like 95% of the time. That's not a real percentage, but it felt like 90 to 95% of the time they were throwing the football. And when they were running it, it was with Josh Allen at quarterback. So I'm not trying to say run more. I'm not trying to say draft Travis Etienne because they need to run the football more. I'm saying draft that weapon back there that's going to be more efficient with the carries and the overall touches. I don't want more carries from last year. I want better efficiency, and I want more efficiency when it comes to the receiving game. Singletary is not somebody that's going to break a a three-yard check down and turn it into a 30- to 40-yard touchdown. Neither is Zach Moss. That's just not what those guys do. You need a game-breaker like that, a run-after-the-catch nightmare that can break any play and turn it into a touchdown. Because even a receiver, do you have that? Stephon Diggs kind of. Cole Beasley's not that guy. Emmanuel Sanders isn't that guy anymore. Gabriel Davis at times could be. But there's nobody that could break a play like that at any moment, even if it's like a three-yard swing pass. I think Travis Etienne could be that. I think, I'm not saying, again, give him the ball more. I'm saying give Etienne the carries and the receptions that Moss and Singletary had last year and your efficiency, your explosive plays, they're going to go through the roof. Give Travis Etienne, I'm not saying throw him the ball a hundred times. I'm saying give him combined. I think Zach Moss and Devin Singletary last year had 50 to 60 receptions. I'm saying give, if you take him in the first round, you can justify it by giving Etienne those touches. And the efficiency is going to go through the roof. And a couple of those plays, he's going to break for touchdowns. And you know with Singletary and Moss, you don't have that ability. So now you have to ask yourself, is that what I just laid out for you? Is that worth the pick? Not sure. But having that element, it's not going to be worth it compared to if you hit on an edge rusher or if you hit on a corner. Or long term, it won't have the same impact as Kadarius Toney being a top two receiver for you. But at the same time, this is an element of the offense 
that you don't have, and then if you add this there, you have no weakness. So say a team, you look at the Bills-Chiefs game last year. What did the Bills do to the Kansas City offense? They dared the Chiefs to allow Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to beat them. And the Chiefs did just that, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire beat them. So if a team is daring the Bills this year to run the ball and say, hey, your running back's going to beat us, that's not going to deter the Bills from throwing the ball because they're just going to out-execute you most of the time because they have Josh Allen and all these weapons. But if you want to be like, okay, fine, bet we're gonna we're gonna use our running back. You're gonna you're not gonna stack the box. You're gonna have like five guys in there. You're just four, you know, defensive linemen. We're gonna use Travis Etienne, and we're gonna beat you that way. The Bills don't really have that option right now. I just I just like optionality again with this draft when it comes to what they can do at thirty, but also what a running back could provide your offense. It provides you optionality that right now you don't have. Do you need that? Not particularly, but the Bills really don't need that much right now. So I think it's an element to this team that you could add. And I think, again, when you're picking 30, you don't need a quarterback, you're in a Super Bowl window right now, then it makes sense. A lot of teams can't justify taking a running back in the first round, but teams like the Bills and the Chiefs in these circumstances, I think they can. And so I think in that way, I'm not saying that running back is my top choice for the Bills at 30. It depends on a lot of factors. But if I hear the Bills took Travis Etienne, Najee Harris... You know, I think I think ETN makes more sense for this because I want a weapon in the backfield and I don't want just a, a ground and pound, you know, a power back. Not saying that's Najee Harris, but ETN is more of the weapon. If they do that, I'm okay with it because I understand the logic and I think the Bills have the optionality. They have the flexibility to go with that route. Louis DiBiase in for Nate Geary. This is Sports Talk Saturday, 8030550 is the number to call. If you're on hold, stay there. We'll get to your call coming up at the other end of the break. We'll be right back. All right, Louis DiBiase back here. One more quick segment in Hour 2 of Sports Talk Saturday. In for Nate Geary, Corey Griswold on the board. We've got one hour to go. Joining me at the top of the hour, it's Locked On 49ers host Brian Peacock. Are the Niners actually going to consider Mac Jones at the third overall pick? We'll talk to him about all that and more NFL draft stuff coming up in Hour 3. Let's get to one call before we take a break. It's Ken in Rochester. Ken, go right ahead, man. You are on Sports Talk Saturday. Hey, guys. All right, so... My thing is, I'm not going to be high on a running back. I think what we've got is, you know, you've got Singletary, you've got Moss, and I would love to see Williams. He ran with his heart and legs in that Dolphins game. He's carrying guys four and five yards extra after the initial contact. He looked great. Give him a shot. I think we can fill in with those three now. Uh, with the 30th pick or moving up, I would never take a running back at that position. And if anything that the Kansas City game proved, as well as the Super Bowl, it was never about running back. It wasn't about Allaire. It was about the defense getting pressure on the quarterback. Mm-hmm. He got quarterback pressure on Josh Allen left and right, made him wonder what to do. He couldn't run the offenses efficiently. And the same in uh, the Super Bowl. They got pressure on Mahomes, and that's how they won. So I would go edge rusher a million times over a running back. If- oh, sorry, Ken, we lost you there, but I thanks for the call. Yeah, I get it. I, I think what he's saying does make sense. Edge rusher is more important for sure, but he said that the Super Bowl was telling as if running back doesn't matter, but at the same time, I mean, Leonard Fournette was really good in that game, and the Buccaneers utilized the ground game. I think we need to separate um we need to separate this debate when it comes to running back where you can you can find them anywhere, 
But running back, you can find them anywhere versus do they matter? That's a different discussion. Like just because you can find a resource in a lot of different areas doesn't mean it's not important. I can find water in a lot of different spots. It doesn't mean I don't need water. You can also use the Bucks as the example right. of the pass rush too, right. because they did both in that. For thing. sure. So that's the thing. Like, yeah, he's right. The pass rush is extremely important, and Tampa Bay showed that. But also, again, Leonard Fournette killed it. I'm not saying you need a good running back to win, but outside of quarterback, there's no position that single-handedly wins games for you consistently. So there's been teams that have won a Super Bowl without a premier edge rusher. There have been teams that have won a Super Bowl without a top corner. So you can say, yeah, running back doesn't matter. Oh, look at no star running back wins. Well, I can name you a ton of teams that don't win with top-tier edge rushers, receivers, because outside of quarterback, these other positions, they can't single-handedly win you games. And so that's the difference is, yes, can you find a running back? Can you easily replace that production? Most of the time, yeah or at least 75 to 80% of that production, but that doesn't mean that it's not imp- that production is not important. So the I Bills think you've got to separate that. The Bills also got to the Final Four. So right. like you look at the quarterbacks that are in the Final Four, it's Mahomes, it's Rodgers, right. it's Brady. And they and didn't have an edge rusher. That's right. So does that mean they don't take an ed- they don't need an edge rusher? So no. you're, so like if for the most important position, maybe in all of sports at quarterback, the Bills are right there. Right. So like can they get past the Chiefs? Can they get past anything? I don't know. For me, it's can the Bills stay where they got to stay? Yeah, I agree with you. 803-0550 is the number to call. If you're on hold, stay there. We'll get to them later on at WGR550 on Twitter, at DBASILOE, coming up in Hour 3. Brian Peacock joining me of Locked On 49ers. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.